We do have the opportunity to baptize again this morning. I want to read to you what our statement of faith has to say. And, and by the way, our statement of faith is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Our statement of faith says that Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. A believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership. Baptism does not save. Instead, it is intended to be a public declaration of the salvation that has occurred in the life of a person. In other words, it is an outward declaration of an inner transformation. This morning we have two to be baptized. First this morning, Cooper Morris. Cooper has been growing in Christ in the last few years, and I am excited to see the decisions that he's made, the growth that he's made, and this morning he comes as our brother in Christ to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, buddy. I'm proud of you. Amen. And Skylar Snipes. Skylar is one of our youth who has also been growing in Christ this morning and... Er, well, not just this morning, but for a while, and uh, um, has recently made a profession of faith. She's been able to talk with some of our leaders and talk with her mom and spend a lot of time with this, but it is our joy to baptize Skylar this morning as my sister in Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church family, God continues to be at work in our church. I've had the opportunity to counsel with a few others this week who are pursuing the Lord in this same vein. We're so excited for the way that God continues to save lives here at Malvern Hill. Thank you again so much for being with us this morning. Pastor Adam is going to come and announce. Seated. My name is Craig Thompson and I'm the pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship. I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning. I, uh, my voice has been running away from me since last night. So it is possible that by the time we finish this sermon this morning, I will sound like a 12-year-old boy going through puberty, which means I'll sound like an 8-year-old girl. So if that happens, just remember the authority rests in God's Word and not the power of a pastor's voice. A few announcements before we jump in. Um, we do have a um, prayer, prayer meeting on Wednesday night. There are no children's activities this Wednesday night. So adults will still be gathered in here. There are no children's activities. I do believe there are student activities. Adam had to step out for a minute, but I think there are, but there are no children's activities on Wednesday night. A um, couple of things Adam mentioned to you already that the deacon, the active deacon list in your bulletin is wrong, and that is all my fault. Um, I printed that this week, and I didn't fix that. Um, so these are the current active deacons. So if you look, um, if you are a member of Malvern Hill Baptist Church, um, we would love for you to participate in nominating deacons. You will pay attention there that the, um, uh, the, the qualifications are outlined in your bulletin. Just ignore the names that are listed on the back. A person to serve as a deacon at Malvern Hill has to be 21 years of age has to have been a believer for at least three years, and has to have been a member of Malvern Hill for at least one year. 
Um, so those are the qualifications according to our Constitution and bylaws. If you would like to nominate someone, please do that on here. And then when the offering plate comes, to your, comes your way this morning, when the offering is collected, just drop your deacon nomination form into the offering plate. This is deacon nomination, not deacon election. So uh, not everyone who is nominated will end up serving. But I would encourage you to participate in that. Again, any, any man who is above the age of 21 years old, meets the qualifications listed, and is not one of the men on this screen, would be eligible. All right? Thank you for that. Now, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 12. The book of Mark, chapter 12. You'll notice this morning that there is not an overwhelming patriotic theme on this July the 4th. Sunday, and I'll be honest with you, the biggest reason there's not is because it is my firm belief that if we are to make a significant impact in this nation, it's going to come about as the church rises, as we just sang this morning. The great responsibility that we have as Americans is to live as active members of God's kingdom. And if we will live in such a way so as to honor God, to love the Lord, to love our neighbor, and to seek to change the world around us, we will discover quickly that this country that we love and of which we are blessed to be a part, will begin to see significant change. If the church of Jesus Christ would rise up from its lethargy and embrace her responsibility to impact culture one life at a time, we might just discover that our country would be changed. And so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Mark, beginning in chapter 12, verse 28, and we're going to read through verse 32, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. Please pay attention, for this is the Word of the Lord. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, said to him rather, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come this morning into this word, I pray that, Lord, you would impress upon us the absolute necessity and importance of loving God with our whole heart and loving our neighbors ourselves and changing the world around us. Father, we come as citizens of heaven and citizens of the United States of America. We come this Sunday looking forward to Thursday when we will celebrate the independence that we have, Lord God, the freedoms that you have allowed us to experience as Americans. And for that, Lord God, I give you thanks. Lord God, I pray that, Lord God, you would bless even the families of those who serve our country, Lord God, for they sacrifice so that we may enjoy freedom. Father God, I pray that you would transform our country and our culture. That, Father God, you would impress upon the church, even us here at Malvern Hill, Lord God, to rise up 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, Lord God, loving you and loving our neighbors well, and seeing our culture changed, in Jesus' name, amen. Love God, love your neighbor, that's sort of the law summed up in two statements. Have you ever noticed how easy and tempting it is for us to overcomplicate things? Overcomplication is normal, it seems to feel many things. Taxes are complicated, relationships are complicated, parenting is complicated, refolding a map is complicated. you ever tried to do that? Those of you under 30 are like, what is a map? It's a big piece of paper. It's, if you can imagine, it's Google Maps with half of the information, but 68 times the size and frustration. We've made Christianity pretty complicated too. It's true that as we grow in Christ, there are many things we can and should learn and many ways that we can and should grow. But when asked, you know, Jesus was able to take all of the Old Testament law and condense it down into two simple commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Can I suggest to you today that if we would commit to loving God first and loving him with all we've got and to loving our neighbor, we wouldn't have to try to change the world. The world would be changed by our love. As we approach July the 4th, our Independence Day, we're going to talk a great deal about the benefits and blessings as citizens of the United States that we experience. We'll even talk some about the responsibilities that we have as citizens of this country. My, my question this morning is not so much are you living as a good citizen of the United States, but are you living as a citizen of heaven? Many of you might say, Pastor, shouldn't we be focusing on our privileges and responsibilities as Americans? I want you to know that if you strive to be a better citizen of heaven, you will automatically be a better citizen of the United States. The greatest problem we have in our country, that's where you get into politics, right? Everybody's like, oh, what's the greatest problem? This is going to be good. You ready? The greatest problem we have in our country is that we are living in an age of competing ideas about what it means to be a good and decent human being. Ideas built on man's wisdom rather than ideas rooted in God's wisdom. There is an implied hierarchy here in the love of which Jesus talks about. Jesus says we are to love God first, and then we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Love of God has to come first. It has to precede, and love of God has to inform and affect the way that we love our neighbor. In fact, if, if we believe the Bible, we know that we love because God first loved us. But again, it is necessary that the love of God precede and and not all love is the same i love the ladies in our church but i don't love any of you the way that i love my wife as a matter of fact the love i have for my wife informs and affects the way that i love other women that i that i encounter right the ring that i wear on my finger affects the commitment that i made to her affects the way that i even give attention to other ladies that i come across Likewise, the love that we have for the Lord informs and affects the way that we love others around us. You can't love your neighbor on the way to loving God, but you can love God and watch that love of God transform your heart in such a way that you can love even neighbors who are very different from you. Folks, if we believe the Bible, we know that we love because God first loved us. And if we believe what God's word says, if, if we really believe in what it means to hold to a Christian worldview, then we begin to believe that it's actually possible 
for a relationship with the Lord to inform and affect even the way that we would govern a country. You see, politics is downstream of culture. For those of you that are concerned and bothered by the the brokenness in our culture, I want you to know that we'll never vote our way to a moral and holy society. The problem with that idea is that it misses the reality that people are elected by folks who hold to a particular worldview and moral standard. In other words, if we want to see our culture changed, we're not going to change it primarily from the top down, but from the bottom up. We're going to change it as we love the Lord and as we love our neighbors as ourselves. We might actually be able to change our culture if we were to go to the word of the Lord and consider how it is that I am to live as a citizen. So, for instance, how do we handle something like a humanitarian crisis at the border? Can I suggest to you that I know the answer? If we would love God first and run to his word, we'll find everything we need there. How do we handle racial division in our country? Love God first, love our neighbor, and run to his word. How do we care well for the poor? Love God first, love our neighbor, and run to the word. How do we care for the unborn? Love God first, love our neighbor, and run to the word. How do we care for the aged? Love God first. Love our neighbor and run to the word. How do we even establish good foreign policy? Can can you believe it? If we were to love the Lord first, love our neighbor and run to the word, it would affect and change the way that we do things. But we are to love, not just feel good. And there's a difference there. With the understanding of love, in pl- with, with a biblical understanding of love, it should be noted that some common statements or understandings of love are simply inadequate. Consider the following. How about this one? I love this one. Love means never hurting someone's feelings. Folks that love me have to hurt my feelings pretty regularly because sometimes my mouth overruns everything else in my life. I love this one. Love means never having to say, I'm sorry. Well, that's good on a Hallmark card, isn't it? It don't fly in the Thompson household. Y'all can imagine, y'all can imagine me looking at Angel and going, Honey, I love you, so I never have to apologize. No, you can't, because I'm still breathing. Love is blind. If love was blind, some of y'all wouldn't be chasing after the things you are. Love is something that sort of happens to us. Folks, this is one of the primary arguments of, of, for instance, the LGBTQ community, that we can't help who we love, we can't help it. This is, and listen, I've seen this argument come about when it relates to marital infidelity. Well, I can't help who I love. Folks, the Bible paints a starkly different picture. We are actually responsible for our actions. I might not always be able to help who it is that I'm attracted to, but I can help who it is that I commit myself to. Who it is that I allow myself to be drawn to and to continually attach with. Instead, the Bible paints a different picture of love. Love is an active, an active decision. It is defined primarily with God's decision and choice to love us. As a matter of fact, God's word says that we love because he first loved us. God didn't have to love us. It wasn't as though Craig Thompson walked by and God said, oh, really like that guy. God made a decision in eternity past that he would love even his fallen creatures. And as a result, here we are, gathered together to worship the Lord. 
who gave his son on our behalf and has opened the way for us to experience everlasting life. So what's it look like to live as a citizen? And can I suggest to you that living as a good citizen of heaven is pretty close to living as a good citizen of the United States and really and truly of any country in which you'd ever find yourself. How might our world look different if we began first to love God? To love God, to love God in word and in deed. Do you know that James says that it's actually impossible to be godly without our actions? You don't, you don't get to say, I love God, and it'd be true if there are no actions to back up your claims. Um, I work out at, at a gym, and y'all get tired of my gym stories, I know, but uh, there's a fellow that comes in, and, and I see him every once in a while. As a matter of fact, it's not just one guy. I see a lot of these, a lot, lot of guys like this, a lot, lot of tattoos that, that say something like, God, I love God, or God first, or I fear no man but God. And, and you see that, and you, you shake their hand, and you say, man, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, tell me about that tattoo. And they go, I don't know, I just thought it was something cool. Oh, okay. Or you see that tattoo and say, yeah, God's first in my life. But the problem is that on the back end of that is, is, is a profanity-laced conversation that seems to suggest no concept of holiness. Y'all, there, there, there's this idea that's pervasive in our culture today that we can somehow love the Lord and it not have an effect on our lives. I just want us to step away for a minute from a conversation about loving God, and I want us to think about a conversation that relates to loving other people. I want you to imagine that you say you love your children, and you never feed them, and you never clothe them, and you never care for them. Folks, is there real love for your children? Say that you love your spouse, but you, 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 you cheat on that spouse, you abuse it. Is there real love for that spouse? Folks, we live in a culture that is so confused about what love is that has been so distorted by abuse and hurt and pain that we begin to affirm these perverted visions and, and views of love. Well, they love them, but it's just a different kind of love. Folks, can I tell you that if you are injuring the people that you claim to love, you're not loving them in a sense that the Bible expects love to be. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he beat up on his children. No, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to whosoever believes in him, but not perish, but have everlasting life. See, real love is a sacrificial love. We talk about loving the Lord. Jesus said to the, to the, the scribe that confronted him, he says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, Jesus is giving us a quote directly from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. Now, if we were to go there, you would see this is the Shema. This is the probably the most important passage in all of Jewish religion. And it begins this way. It's called the Shema because in, in Hebrew, Shema means listen or hear. And so it would be Shema O Israel, except they would say it with a much better accent. But in your Bible, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen up, Israel. There is only one God. Folks, we can complicate Christianity so much. And yet so often, the best answers in life are the simplest answers. When Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? Do you know that Jesus didn't try to reinvent the wheel? As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't even come up with something cute or controversial. The statement that Jesus made right here would have been affirmed by 
every Jew in the world. What's the most important command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Absolutely, Jesus. Why did Jesus not reinvent? Well, because he didn't need to. Because the word of God doesn't change. The law of God doesn't change. The expectation of God doesn't change. And so from time immemorial until today, the most important command is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus says that we are to love him how? Your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. So in other words, we're to love him with everything. We could preach a whole sermon about what all the heart, mind, soul, strength, all other stuff. But let's just, let's just kind of rush into that just real quick. We're, we're to have an emotive love toward the Lord, an emotional experience. There's, there's an emotional tie. I love God with my heart. It's, it's not just stoic. It's not just written down. It's not concrete. I just, I love the Lord with my heart. I love the Lord with my mind. This isn't a blind faith. It's not a blind love. I actually wrestle with some of these things. One of our ladies this morning grabbed me, asked me, she didn't grab me, she asked me a question, said, explain to me about this, this passage of Scripture. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with it. Folks, that's, that's part of loving the Lord my heart and my, my mind that I'm, I'm willing to wrestle. Folks, can I tell you, if you're in here this morning and you're still a little skeptical about this whole loving Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing, can I tell you that Jesus urged his followers to not follow blindly, but to wrestle with the hard things, love him with your mind, with your soul. Now, what, what is that? So if my heart's like I feel it, feel it, and my mind is like I know it, the soul is like I am committed. I'm all in. It consumes me. And with all your strength. Folks, are you willing to exhaust yourself for the things of the Lord? Are you willing to give of the things that are inconvenient? Can I just say that love is inconvenient? Love is inconvenient. I read a pretty good article recently. It said the church is inconvenient. And I loved what it said. If you're not inconvenienced by your church, then you're not doing church the way church is supposed to be done. Man, that's so true, isn't it? Because if you're not inconvenienced by your church, you're not committed in the way that you'd be committed to a family. You're committed in the way that you might be committed to a social club that you pay your dues and you get there whenever it's convenient or whenever it's comfortable. The church is supposed to be something different than that. Well, we love God with our, with our strength, and I'm hanging on. I'm giving something to the Lord. So what's that look like? Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. A, a person who loves the Lord is pursuing holiness. They want to look like Jesus. They want to act like Jesus. They want to be different than Jesus. I'm going to be on vacation in a few weeks, and I'll spend time with my family, my brothers, and um, uh, some of you if, you, if you get around me while I'm there, you'll notice that, um, and I, it's just true, I wish, it, I don't know if I wish it was or wasn't, it just is. My language even changes when I get around my brothers. Any of you mamas have that happen when all your, your children come home, all of a sudden they, they develop this own strange language. I don't, and, and we do, and, and, and the reason is because we've all grown up together, and here we are, um, Two of us are now 38, and in December, the other one will be 38. We're just this weird family. We're all the same age. And, and, uh, and, and as... Oh, okay. Um, it's funny the things y'all laugh at. I didn't think that was funny, but y'all are just laughing, so I appreciate it. And can I just thank y'all for being here? 
Serious, and I'm serious. The fourth of this this week, we have a lot of our people that vacation, and 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 it, it's often just such a a down week. So this, this is a pretty good crowd for a Fourth of July, and it's so much better than the time that people slept through my sermon on the Fourth of July. So I appreciate you staying awake. Uh, but but we developed this own language, and it's because we love one another and we communicate in a different sort of way, and we begin to look like each other. I mean. We, me and one of my brothers, this is no lie, me and one of my brothers regularly purchase the same clothes by accident. It is not unheard of for us to show up at an event. We come from different directions. We show up wearing the same shirt. I don't even know how that happens. We will be in a store. If we're on vacation, we might go shopping together. We'll go two different directions and meet in the middle. We'll both be holding the same shirt. Okay? That's, that's strange, folks. That is weird. He and I don't even share DNA, and that's still what it looks like when we get together. Y'all, when you love the Lord, if you really love the Lord, it should change who you are. You and God should be wearing the same shirts. Y'all should be using the same kind of vocabulary. Y'all should be thinking on the same wavelengths. Your life should be different because of your relationship with the Lord. Love, mercy. We're going to run to Micah in just a few minutes, but... Love, mercy. We serve a God who is merciful and just and gracious. One of the things that hurts me in our culture today is there's so much hubris and pride and anger. The people of God can't ever be defined by our anger or our hatred. That people who think or act or live differently than we do The Bible says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he looked and said, Oh, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets, how I would have gathered you. When's the last time you looked at those people who were different than you and you allowed your love of God to affect the way that you viewed them? Love, mercy. Live a life worthy of your calling. Does the world know that you belong to Jesus? Does the world know that you belong to Jesus? I'm just curious. If people know you and you invited them to come to church with you, would they say, man, I would love to go to that church because I can see that it's made a difference in that man's life? Or would they look at you and say, if that's what a church creates, I don't want any part of it. How many of you live a life that's worthy of your calling? How many of you just hypocrites? You say, Pastor, that's mean. Folks, I'm just being honest. Some of you, some of you leave a scar on the name of Christ. Because rather than live lives worthy of your calling, rather than live lives that are worthy and holy, you live for your own flesh. What's it look like to live as a citizen of heaven? Love the Lord. Second, love others. Love others in action and deed. It's easy to pay lip service to loving others, but the Bible's picture of love looks starkly different. Consider Micah's words in Micah 6, 8. He says, he, it says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to love justice, or to do justice, and to uh, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want to focus this morning on that do justice. Folks, we can't say that we love our neighbor unless we are doing for our neighbor. What's it look like for you to do justice in your own life? How might you be involved in the process of doing God's will and showing your love to your neighbor? Not just talking about it, but actually showing your love. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know those who look, act, and live differently than you do? Do you? 
Do you know people who don't attend our church? Do you know people who might frequent restaurants that you don't always go to? Do you know people who might vote differently than, when you, than you do or participate in different kinds of things than you do? Back to where I was just a moment ago, we live in a, in a culture that is so defined by anger. I mean, we are mad all the time. I, I just, I, 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 don't, I don't watch CNN and I don't watch Fox News because those are the two maddest places in our cu- culture. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I would urge all of you to turn it off. Your life will be better. I promise you it will. I promise you it will. Because they're so busy telling me who I can't like or who I shouldn't like that I can't even figure out how to love my neighbor as myself. They're so busy telling me how divided I am. And I wonder how my world might be different if I was to stick my hand out to somebody at a different place that looks different than I do. And to begin to just hear from them and to love on them and to seek to try and do good for them and by them. How might it be different? How might your world look different if you were to spend time with somebody who votes different than you do or who thinks different than you do or who looks different than you do and you were to spend time and you were to love on them and to hear them say something like, wow, I I never believed that you Christians would would behave this way. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing. It's amazing. There's this one person I've been working diligently to try and spend time with because this person needs the Lord so desperately. They live a lifestyle that is so different than mine. And I'll never forget. I mean, seriously, I just won't forget that person doing everything in their power to rub their lifestyle into my face as a Southern Baptist pastor and to step back and sort of shake their head and say, why are you still having a conversation with me? Because you're a person created in the image of God. And I would love to hear why it is that you have so many things against the church of God. I would love to hear your hurt and your pain. Well, you don't want to hear this because you just, I said, I want to hear it. Man, it's been fantastic. Now, does that person know the Lord yet? Not yet. But I'm hopeful that the day is coming when perhaps even in this church, that person will walk down that aisle and give their life to Jesus Christ and we can celebrate together. But can I tell you that we won't get there by yelling at our neighbors. We won't get there by yelling at those people that we disagree with, but we might get there by shaking their hands and embracing them and sitting down and drinking a cup of coffee together or a Diet Pepsi. Who in the world does that? Somebody offered Some of y'all drinking that stuff. I don't get it. Now, y'all are some neighbors that I can't really, I can't relate to. So there is, there is a, 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 a threshold for me, okay? Y'all Diet Pepsi people got to get together. Everybody else, we can get together. But to love your neighbor. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know them? One of our goals here at Malvern Hill is to be the kind of place that everybody feels welcome to be. One of our goals here at Malvern Hill is to be the kind of place that everybody feels welcome to be. So that means I don't care what your house looks like or what your address is. I want you to know that you can come right here and be a part of the family of God. It doesn't matter. I don't care who you voted for last election cycle. You can come right here and be a part of the family of God. You can come right here and you can hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter who you are, where you came from, or what you've done. We want to be the kind of place that loves our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's what Jesus said. He said the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know I'm getting those words out of order. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. But keep in mind, you can't love your neighbor until you love Jesus right. You can't love your neighbor right until you love Jesus with all your heart. 
But folks, once we begin to love Jesus with all of our heart, guess what? We can't help but start seeing the people around us as fellow image bearers of God who desperately need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, when God gets a hold of your heart, and when he starts changing you, a lot of those sinful attitudes start falling away. So here you go. You ready? You want to do some some tests in your life? If you don't love your neighbor the way you love yourself, you might not love Jesus. How about that? Because if you love Jesus, he's going to change you. If you're a racist, there's a good chance you don't love Jesus. Because those things can't live together. Right? If you're filled with hate, there's a good chance you don't love Jesus. Because those things can't live together. The Bible says that when God comes into a life, he changes your heart. He rips out the old one. He gives you a new one. That heart of stone is gone. That heart of flesh comes in. And life is present. Well, that's hard for me, Pastor. Okay. It's pretty hard for Jesus to die on a cross, but he did it anyway. Okay? It's hard for us to surrender our life to Christ, but as we do, he changes us. So we love our neighbor as ourselves, And then finally... We change the world. Now, in case you didn't pick up on it, this is kind of what we try to be here at Malvern Hill. We, we, we want to love God, love others, and seek to change the world. That's what we're about. These are our marching orders. Again, we don't have a fancy slogan. We don't have a beautifully crafted vision statement that we spent weeks and months and years on. The reason that we don't is this. Because Christ has given us our marching orders. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those are the commands that God has given to us. Now, those things might look a little different in your life than they do in mine. They might look a little different in in East Camden than they do in in, in Boston. But the reality is, even though the nuances might, might move or budge just a smidge, the truth remains the same. And folks, listen to me. If you'll love the Lord with your whole heart and you'll love your neighbors yourself, this whole changing the world begins to become a little bit easier. How do we do it, though? We change the world. You ready for this? Y'all might want to write this down. This is pretty good. I probably stole it from somewhere. All right? We're going to change the world one moment at a time, one decision at a time, one person at a time, one community at a time. And then perhaps even one country at a time. Oh, so many of us watch the news and we read the paper and we're just pulling our hair out because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. What can we do? Folks, can I tell you, you can't do a thing in Washington, D.C. You can't. Just wrap your brain around it. You can't. And, and, and listen to me. You live in South Carolina. Okay? I love South Carolina. I do. I'm going to tell you something. If all of us decided that we were going to change the way that our country voted in the upcoming election in 2020, you'd still lose because South Carolina is almost certainly going to vote one way because that's who South Carolina is, okay? All your votes and my vote, we ain't going to make that big a difference, right? That's just going to be what it is, just face reality. So you say, I'm going to change it at the ballot box, and I'm here to tell you, you're not going to do that. You might not be able to change this country. But what if you could change one life? What if you could? Ricky walked into my office this morning. He said, oh, there are many here who are not far from the kingdom of God. I was so wrapped up in what I was going to preach, it completely ran past me. 
Completely ran past me because I was focusing on the top portion of the scripture. Completely got away from me this morning. But I'm curious. And I appreciate you coming and bringing that to my, my remembrance. What if there are those people around you that are not that far from the kingdom of God? But you're so busy griping and moaning and arguing about how bad things are that you've missed the opportunity to love the Lord and to love that neighbor who's close to the kingdom and to begin to see lives changed one moment, one decision, and one person at a time. You say, could it really happen? Absolutely. The decision to go over there and speak to that grieving neighbor might make a huge impact on an entire life. Do you know that? The decision to speak to one person in one difficult moment might make a, a, a difference in an entire life. We were in Atkinson, North Carolina a few weeks ago. We went around, we, we prayer walked through a community, we knocked on some doors, we tried to share the gospel. I don't know if we did any good, I really don't. I don't know if anybody was saved, nobody said they were. I had Sloan with me. I tell you this last week, I... He wanted to beat on every door. I said, son, what? you don't even know what you're doing. Like, it's hot, I'm miserable, and you're running like crazy. What is, what, why are we even here? We're trying to share the gospel, Daddy. <sighs> Guess he showed me, didn't he? And so we kept on beating on those doors. Can we pray with you? Can we share the gospel with you? Do you have one of these gospels of John? You know, there's one woman that came out and spent some time with us. She's a woman that's been coming to Bible study. And her life is messed up. I mean, messed up. She's just in a bad place in every conceivable way. And it's been messed up for a long time. Whole lots of bad things that have happened to her. Right? We generally focus on the things that people have done. I'm telling you, this is a woman who's had lots of things that have happened to her for a long, long time. And she's broken, and she's beat down, and she's hurt. But here's what I watched happen. I watched the gospel begin to work in her life. And as we began to share over a period of days with this woman... And as even we walked down a road and she spent time with our church folks, I watched her begin to allow some of the walls to come down. And I watched her share with some women from that church right there about the pain and the struggle and the hurt and the struggle she has to trust Jesus. And this was the decision that blew me away. Imagine this. As she talked with them about how she had failed and how she should have done more, I watched this senior adult lady reach over and put her hand on her shoulder and said, Sweetheart, maybe we failed you because we should have reached out more. This woman lives within a stone's throw of the church. And this sweet lady, rather than jumping all over her, said, We should have done more. Watch this. But we will be here for you. As we began to listen and learn, we learned the church provided food for that family. The church provided care and ministry for that family. Guess what? That family is made up of a woman and children and a man. You say, we want to change the whole world. And I'm here to tell you, you might be able to change it one person at a time. We're, we're continuing to fill this baptistry up. Watch this. Children are being saved, all these little guys. 
These guys, some of these guys are being saved because they got a mama and a daddy. A daddy gave his life to Jesus, okay? When daddy got saved, he began to lead his family toward Jesus. Sometimes we see daddy and mama get baptized together. And they begin to bring their children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And watch what happens. All of a sudden, these children's lives begin to be transformed. Folks, you're telling me that one minute, one decision in one person can't change the world? I'm here to tell you that I've seen it so many times in this place already. That one decision for Christ affects four, five, six other people. Because that one person begins to lead their family to Jesus. You say, Pastor, I want to have a better country for my children. I want to have a better culture. And I'm here to tell you that it's possible. But you've bought the lie of the culture that says you can vote it in. And I'm here to tell you, you'll never vote it in. But you might love it in. You might evangelize it in. You might disciple it in. You might, one person at a time, watch the kingdom of God slowly arrive. You might see entire families transformed. And what happens when one family gets transformed? I had to meet with somebody this week who said, I saw what God's done in his life, and I want some of that. <gasps> God changed one family, and then it got contagious, and now he's working to change another family. One person shared the gospel, and there's this domino effect. Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. Who are those people who are not far from the kingdom in your life? Who are they? What if we were to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Love our neighbors, ourselves, and to seek to change the world. You say, Craig, I can't change the world. I'm here to tell you that if you change one life, you change the whole world for that person. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is strong enough to change the whole world for any person. We're going to gather in just a moment around the Lord's table here for the Lord's Supper. As we approach the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to remind you that this is a rite of passage as a citizen of God's kingdom. We come together pledging our allegiance to Christ and experiencing the filling of God's presence as we are reminded of the one who loved God first and foremost and loved others enough to give his life and change the whole world forever. We come together to take the Lord's Supper as God's children. Listen to me. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, the Lord's Supper is not for you. I would urge you to resist the Lord's Supper instead to take Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if today you would like to give your life to Christ, I want you to know, please don't despair. After we finish the Lord's Supper, Kevin's going to lead us. Our praise team's going to lead us. We're going to sing. And after we finish the Lord's Supper, if you don't take the Lord's Supper today because you don't know the Lord, I want to urge you that when we stand and we begin to sing, I want to urge you to step out of your seat and walk down this aisle. And I want you to take me by the hand, and I want to, I want to share with you what it means to follow Jesus. There's some of you here today who might be interested in joining our church. And after we've taken the Lord's Supper and we begin to sing, I want to invite you to come this morning. We'd love to have you. However it is that the Lord's working in your life, I want to urge you. Don't leave here today without allowing the Lord to work. But until then, we're going to allow the Lord to work through the Lord's Supper. So if our deacons would come forward at this time.